Let's get into Philippians. I did remember my Bible, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, and we're in verse 19 this evening. Philippians 2.19. Let's pray together. Let's wait upon the Lord for a few moments. Uh, Allow God to speak to us and, and refresh us. Let's go to his throne together. Father, we thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you that you're unchanging, that you're merciful and gracious and compassionate. We want to take a few moments to, to wait upon you, to, to draw near to you, to give you our worries and our concerns. If you've got things that are weighing upon your heart tonight, give it to the Lord. you feel weary or discouraged in your soul, maybe you feel like you've been walking through this week with a dark cloud, just allow the Lord to speak encouragement to you. Maybe he's going to prompt you with a promise from his word. Jesus, we do hold on to you. We hold on to you as our anchor. We know that our anchor is in your throne room. We take hope in you. Maybe your heart needs to be healed by the, the Lord. You're, you're carrying hurt. and Allow God the opportunity to heal your heart this evening. Possibly God is convicting you of sin and this is the moment to get right with him. Talk that over with the Lord. And now, Jesus, as we go into your word, we ask that you'd speak to us, that you'd encourage us, that we would find joy in your promises. We treasure your word. We're so thankful for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't own a Bible, you you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. That's the greatest gift that we could give to you this evening would be for you to have your own Bible. There's Bibles at the door. They're free. Just pick one up and take it home with you and start reading. Bring it back with you next Saturday night and study with us. Tonight we're going to look at the second chair. What do we mean by that? The second chair. Apparently, you'll have a lead attorney, and many times they'll have a fellow attorney that's in the second chair, giving aid, giving assistance. They'll do a lot of the similar things, but they're following the lead of the primary, the more experienced attorney. There was a book that was written in 2005, and it's called Leading from the Second Chair. And so here's the idea of this book, and I quote, and it says, A second chair leader is a person in a subordinate role whose influence with others adds value throughout the organization. So they're a person that's not in charge. They're a person that is following. They're in the second chair, but they've learned to lead from the second chair and have great influence. When we study the Bible, we tend to look at those who we would consider to be the primary leader. The Apostle Paul, and Peter, and David, and Joseph, and Daniel. There are these primary leaders. But in all of those stories, there's somebody in the second chair. 
there's somebody that's providing a supporting role that's very valuable to what God is doing. And we see that tonight. We're going to look at two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And these men are not primary like the Apostle Paul, but the ministry wouldn't happen without them. And we see the deep value of a team. When we think of Peter's life, we have to look at John and how much John supported Peter. When we think of David, who's in the second chair in David's life? Jonathan. David would have not been the man that he was without Jonathan standing by his side. Who are the men that are in the second chair of the story of Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His friends that are walking with him through this difficult time. And this is what I hope that we're encouraged in. Maybe you feel like God isn't using my life or he won't use my life because I'm not the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Have you ever read through Paul's life and you're like, well, good luck for me. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I can't relate with that guy. He's like, he might as well be put in a Marvel movie. He might as well be a superhero, right? The, the Apostle Paul. And, and there will be some like the Apostle Paul. But you might say, I can relate to Timothy. I can relate to Epaphroditus and how he was used by the Lord. So hopefully you're encouraged to see the value of the whole team this evening. We've been exhorted and encouraged in the book of Philippians about having the mind of Christ in chapter 2, which is to put others in front of ourselves. We've been given the example of Jesus, that, that Jesus humbled himself and came as a serpent. But we're also now given the example of these two men. And don't we learn by example? I mean, that's a, a primary way that we learn is by having an example. So Paul is continuing this theme in chapter 2 of being other-centered by focusing on Timothy and Epaphroditus. So join me in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. So remember who's receiving the letter, the church of Philippi, in Greece, Paul's in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed, if he's going to be released, when he's going to be released. So he sends Timothy. He says, Timothy is going to come to you soon. And I trust, I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you. So Paul is willing to have a plan. He's willing to put together a plan, willing to send Timothy, but he puts those plans in God's hands. So I'm trusting the Lord to send Timothy to you. A little background on Timothy. Maybe you've never heard of Timothy or Timothy is, is new to you. In Acts chapter 16, we see Paul on a missionary journey and he comes to Lystra and Derbe and he meets Timothy. And Timothy is a disciple following Christ and we find his background, Timothy's background. It's interesting because his mom is a believing Jew, a messianic Jew, a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. But his dad is a Gentile and appears to not be saved. We don't see any reference to his dad having saving faith, but we do see reference of his mom and grandma knowing Christ as their Savior. So he grew up in a very divided home culturally. Maybe some of you had that experience. Jew and Gentile didn't normally have anything to do with each other, but sometimes love wins out, doesn't it? Mom and dad get married, this Jew and this Gentile. So he grows up in a, in a home that's divided culturally, but then it's divided by belief. Mom is believing in Christ, following Christ, and it appears that dad is not following Christ. One of the things that I'm encouraged about in the Bible is it's messy when it comes to family. 
most of the families that we read of in the Bible are extremely messy. And God works redemption through broken families. Why do I find that encouraging? Because our families are messy, aren't they? You know? Show me a family that isn't dysfunctional, really, right? And God works in the midst of messy families. And maybe you're raising kids in a divided home. Your spouse isn't saved and you're, you're feeling like you're doomed. No, look at, look at Timothy's life. Maybe you grew up and your parents are divorced or your parents are divided in, in many ways and you carry the, the wounds of that. Look at Timothy's life. God worked in spite of the brokenness inside of his own family. And we hear that the faith that was in his grandma, was in his mom, was in Timothy. So if you're a single parent, you're... Your spouse is not a believer. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. God can work in spite of the the brokenness. So Paul goes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, why don't you travel with me? Why don't you come with me and do ministry with me? Which is the best way to learn. Spent 24-7 with Paul, was an apprentice with Paul, and became someone that Paul could trust to do ministry. In fact, two books of the Bible, 1st and 2nd Timothy, are written to this young man. So he's going to be sent to Philippi that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Paul says, the reason that I'm sending is I want to be encouraged to know how you're doing, Church of Philippi. We see this bond between Paul and this church. He loves this church. This church loves him. He's grieved that he can't be with them. You know, it's, it's so exciting to get reunited with believers that you care about and you know care about you as well, isn't it? it it's encouraging. It's, re, it's refreshing. It, it's just fuel to your soul. And so, so Paul says, I'm going to be encouraged when Timothy goes and he comes back and he lets me know how you're doing. And on that note, we're, we're spoiled, aren't we? Because if it were today, Paul would probably pick up his smartphone get out WhatsApp and text the Church of Philippi and say, dudes, how you doing? Well, we're doing great. And maybe some FaceTime, but Timothy actually had to make the journey. Verse 20, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. So, So Paul is wanting the Church of Philippi to get familiar with Timothy where they can trust Timothy's care. And he says, I don't know anyone like-minded who sincerely cares for your state. Oftentimes I wonder, what was the Apostle Paul like? I get this perception that he was a no-nonsense kind of guy. Is that that the perception you get of the Apostle Paul as well? Remember the whole thing with Barnabas and John Mark? John Mark gave up on a missionary journey. The next missionary journey, Barnabas wants to take John Mark, give him a second chance, and Paul's like, not in your life. That guy left his high and dry. He's not joining us again in ministry. So when Paul gives a compliment, I think that he meant it, don't you? So he didn't have cheap compliments, but yet he was willing to give public compliments. And sometimes people don't give encouragement publicly to others because they say, well, it'll puff their head up with pride. That could happen, but Paul says it's worth the risk. You know, it's worth the risk. I'm going to encourage Timothy. I'm going to let you know that you can trust Timothy. Oftentimes, there's not enough encouragement to go around, isn't there? You know, there's a lot of negativity, a lot of criticism, a lot of putting each other down. 
We want to be like Paul where we edify the body of Christ, where, where we're giving those compliments where they're due. You know, not cheap compliments, ones that we mean, but to be able to build others up. And he says, there's no one else that is like-minded. He says, no one will be like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. What, what he's saying is, I know no one like Timothy. I know no one like him. But this young man really stands out. And the first characteristic, if you're taking notes about Timothy, is that he's like-minded with the Apostle Paul. And that's what we've seen being taught through Philippians, the mind and choosing to be like-minded. Choosing to have the same purpose and be on the same page. So here's Timothy, and he was like-minded with the Apostle Paul. He saw the big picture. He saw the vision of loving and serving Christ and seeing people come to know Christ as their Savior. A lot of young people have their own agenda, don't they? You think back to when you were young or if you are young. I think about all the opinions that I had in my early 20s. I mean, I had it all figured out back then, right? And here is a young man with humility, and he's willing to be like-minded with the Apostle Paul. Do you think that there was maybe some times that Timothy may have disagreed with Paul's approach? I wouldn't quite do it that way. But yet he chose the bigger picture, didn't he? He, he was willing to say, I can be on the same page with the Apostle Paul. I can be like-minded with him. And when we think about serving the Lord in any capacity, whatever he's called us to, and if we're in that second chair, what's really going to be important, no matter where God's placed us, is that we're like-minded. We go, this is the big picture. This is the vision. This is what God is, is doing. I'm choosing like-mindedness. And the second thing that we see about Timothy and his, his character is he sincerely cares. Paul had no doubt that Timothy was going to go and genuinely love the church of Philippi. And this is a tremendous attribute as well, isn't it? To be like-minded and to love people to sincerely care. You know, to be used by God is not determined by your personality, how charismatic you are, or your abilities, how smart you are. It really comes down to loving people, to sincerely caring for people, to have a genuine love and concern for them. Think about those that have really impacted your life for Christ. Did they care about you? Did they sincerely care about you? You know, I can think of three or four names that really impacted me, and each one of them sincerely cared. And so that's what we want to put as a chief attribute. Say, God, would you grow me in this area where I really care for people, where I really love people and take the time to invest in them? It's the value of a team. Paul can't go to the church of Philippi, but he has Timothy. He can send Timothy. He knows, man, Timothy is going to really care for these guys. He's going to really love these guys. Sometimes we got to make things simple again, don't we? What's the Christian life? It's loving God, knowing that he loves us, loving him in return, and loving others, sincerely caring for others. It's been said, and it's true, people don't care what we know until they know that we care, right? It's also been said that many times we're like a, a porcupine. We have many powerful points, but we're not very approachable, right? People are like, I know he loves Jesus, I know he knows his Bible, but man, he's sure argumentative. I wouldn't dare have a conversation with him and sincerely caring, sincerely 
loving goes, goes so far, and we see that characteristic in Timothy. Verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. The next attribute of Timothy is he's seeking Christ's agenda. He's seeking Christ's agenda. What makes Timothy stand out is the majority is seeking their own agenda. They're seeking their own interests. But Timothy is seeking the interests of Christ. The ESV version translates this verse, for all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So everybody's chasing their own agenda, but Timothy is chasing the agenda of Christ. So, so what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you tonight? Is I've got to die to my agenda. I've got to die to my interests. I've got to die to my wants and really seek the interests of Christ. Seek the agenda of Christ. And this is living. This is the Christian life. This is, brings joy. When we seek to save our life, we're going to lose it. When I've got my plan, my wants, my desires, but when I'm in that place of saying, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done, that changes everything. And Timothy, he had surrendered his life to Christ where now he can be sent to Philippi. He's going to seek the agenda of Christ. Well, what's the agenda of Christ? For people to be loved. He says, all right, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, my job right now is to encourage the church of Philippi. We live in a culture and a society that really promotes self-interest, self-love. And to say, no, I, I'm going to put the interests of Christ first. I'm going to seek his agenda. So, I got a theory. I think that great churches, great organizations, great nonprofits, great companies, great, you name it, have people that are willing to serve in the second chair. They say, I don't have to be the person that's in charge. I realize that it's going to take a team. And this is who God's made me to be, and I'm more than happy to be it. I'm seeking Christ's interests. I'm not seeking my own. We don't have any indication that Timothy's like, I want to be the Apostle Paul. I want to take his spot. I want his gifts. I'm going to be used by him. He's like, I'm Timothy. I'm willing to be Timothy and follow Christ inside of who the Lord has made me to be. And in fact, Paul often had to challenge Timothy to be more bold, to not be, be timid. So there's great value in Timothy. There's great ministry that's taking place in who God has made Timothy to be. I love verse 22. It says, But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. He says, you guys know his character. So he was known to the church of Philippi. The next quality is he has proven character. Proven character. How does Paul know Timothy's character? Because Timothy served as a son to Paul in the gospel. You might want to underline that phrase, served with me in the gospel. They were both compelled by the gospel, the good news of Christ. And Timothy's saying, I'm willing to serve inside of the gospel. Church, we get a great picture right here of mentorship, discipleship. You know, we think about the command that Jesus gave us to make disciples. How does that happen? It happens with a father-son type of relationship. That real personal type of investment, serving together, doing life together. And in our 
relationship with Christ, we need a Paul. We need someone who has walked with the Lord more, gone through experiences that we haven't yet, and say, man, I'm going to latch on to that, that Paul. But we also need a Timothy. We need somebody that we can welcome into our life. And inside of the body of Christ, you can have father-son type of relationships, mother-daughter type relationships, brother-sister type relationships, sibling type of relationships, all inside of the deep bond of Jesus Christ. Timothy saw Paul as a father. Paul looked at Timothy as a son. He wasn't just an asset. He wasn't just a, a way to get more ministry done. But by God's grace, you know, I was thinking and sharing this week with a few folks that a real highlight of what God has done at RMC has been in our women's ministry. And many years ago now, prayerfully, a team of us made a decision to really follow the model of Titus 2 for our women's ministry, which is older women teaching younger women. And it has really exploded. It's exploded numerically, but more importantly, it's exploded in the depth of ministry into to women's lives. Because younger women are longing for older women to come alongside and mentor them. It's great to have friends your age. We all need that. But it's so valuable to have an older woman in, in a younger woman's life. And then older women in our church have been able to say, I'm valued. There's a place for me here. I'm ready to invest in, in younger women. And God's blessed it, and he, he has used it. And if you look around at our church, if you ever take time to look around, don't do it right now because that'd be kind of awkward. But there's a lot of different ages represented, you know? We're not just totally a young people's church. We're not just totally an old group of people's church. We're everything in between, right? We've got some young people. We've got some not-so-young people. And we've got some people in between. And I think that that's what God desires in a healthy body because we need each other, you know? And, and sometimes it happens through a Bible study, but sometimes it just happens organically. You know, you may be coming to services for a while and someone sits in your section and you're like, man, I'd really like to get to know them. Maybe you're on the younger end and you go to them and say, hey, could we go to coffee? Could we, I'd like to get to know you better you know, you're a bit older and you see someone younger and you, you reach out to them. I stopped by our college ministry on Thursday night and just dropped in for a few minutes and there's a bunch of college kids and God's really blessing that. And then you know, there was a, a, a gal in our fellowship who's older, I won't give out her age, but she was there loving on the college kids. And I was so blessed because the college kids were just eating her up. They're like, man, this, they were talking to her and she was loving on them and you know, a lot of those college kids maybe never had a relationship with a grandparent, never had a relationship with their parents, and they want it. Like, if, if you want to be a leader in young adults, high school or junior high, what your tendency is to think is, like, I don't understand them. Like, they just look at their phones all the time, and I just don't get them. And if I went in there, they'd be like, who's the dinosaur? You know, you're the dinosaur. I don't... If you are like Timothy and you have genuine care for them, they're going to love it for you to be there. They would be so excited that, that you're investing in them. So 
If you are on the, the older side of things, man, we're so glad that you're here. There's so much ministry for you to be done. If you're on the younger side of things, look for somebody who's older to come alongside of you. You'll, you'll be blessed. Take, take that, that step of faith. I think nowhere, no matter where we are in the journey, there's always somebody who's younger. Amen? There's, there's always somebody who's younger that we can begin to invest in. You know, for me and the years that God's allowed me to have in ministry, I started really young in ministry. Um, what has brought me the greatest joy is the Paul-Timothy relationships. Because I love teaching God's word, and it's so valuable, and it's so fun. But the Pauls in my life, and the Timothys in my life, and those relationships, the, those are, are where the greatest joy is. And I think you would agree. That, that's where relationships are really valuable. I mean, here's Paul in prison, and he's got Timothy to be able to send to a place of need. He's proven character. He's served as a son with a father. Verse 23, therefore I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. Paul's waiting for some news about his current situation while he's been in prison. Verse 24, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. He's still hoping that he can go to the church of Philippi, get out of prison. Now we see our, our second man who serves in a second chair type of position says, yet I consider it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and my soldier. Traditionally, Epaphroditus had been the one who brought goods and care to the Apostle Paul. The the Church of Philippi sends him as a messenger. And then also that they probably intended for him to stay indefinitely, and be an assistant to Paul. Most likely, Epaphroditus was the one who took the letter back to the church of Philippi. Also, another interesting detail about Epaphroditus is he's a full Gentile. So you got Paul, Paul, who is Jewish. We've got Timothy, who's part Jew, part Gentile. And then we've got Epaphroditus, who is complete uh, Gentile, the beauty of the body of Christ. Paul gives recommendation about Epaphroditus as well. He says, he's my brother, he's my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. Three traits to see about him. He's got a balanced life. In these commendations, we see a balanced life. First, brother, that's fellowship. That's fellowship. So Paul sees Epaphroditus as a brother, sees Timothy as a son, and Epaphroditus as a brother. You need to have those brothers. You need to have those those sisters Epaphroditus was a man who was in fellowship, who shared Christ with others. But he's also a worker, a fellow worker. You know, if all we do is fellowship, we've missed it somewhere. We need to fellowship for a purpose. We're fellowshipping to be prepared for work. And he worked, he labored in God's field, and he's a fellow soldier. He was willing to surrender and to sacrifice. But your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So he's also a messenger and a minister. So he's sent to give message. He's also sent to minister to the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine the conversation? Paul, our pastor, our friend, he's in prison in Rome. Let's go send someone to encourage him and bring him some gifts, some good coffee and cheese and crackers. And who wants to go? Epaphroditus is like, I want to go. I'll go. 
send me. I'll take time off work. I'll make it happen. I'll, I'll do the hardship to, to get there. And he's sent to, to minister to the Apostle Paul and be a messenger. Didn't go as planned in verse 26. Oftentimes is the case. Since he was longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. So as he gets to minister to Paul, he gets deathly sick to the point where they weren't sure if he was going to make it. And in the midst of being sick, Epaphroditus is burdened because he's concerned about how the group in Philippi is worried about him. You know, I see this sometimes when I do hospital visits and someone's in just terrible shape. And who are they worried about while they're there lying in ICU? They're worried about their spouse. They're worried about their kids. They're they're burdened about how they're going to handle their sickness and potential death. And it was the same for Epaphroditus. And so we see his deep love there and his burden and care for the believers. Verse 27, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. God healed Epaphroditus. He's blessed. But there was a period where he was sick. And it doesn't seem that the Apostle Paul in and of himself has the power to heal Epaphroditus. He doesn't have any holy hankies. He he doesn't take out a handkerchief and say, okay, Epaphroditus, uh, if you touch this hanky, it's got the holy healing anointing and then you'll be healed. Why wasn't Epaphroditus healed right away? Well, for the same reason that Trophimus, another fellow worker with the Apostle Paul, remained sick. In 2 Timothy 4.20, Paul writes and says, Trophimus is sick. We don't know how that turned out. For the same reason that Paul or Timothy wasn't healed. We know that Timothy had a, a bad stomach to the point where Paul said you should probably drink some wine and that will help with your, your stomach issues. Wasn't healed. We see Paul himself having a thorn in the flesh that God didn't remove. So God will heal. He will always heal. But the question is timing. When? Sometimes it will be in eternity. Sometimes it will be in heaven. And sometimes it will be in this life. So in this instance, why did God choose to heal in time Epaphroditus? Because of his mercy. It's just what God chose to do. Sometimes God heals. And sometimes he doesn't heal until someone goes home to be with the Lord. In verse 28, Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. So he's saying, I am sending Epaphroditus back to you so that you guys can be reunited and you can rejoice. And that's going to bring me joy to know that you guys are reunited. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Now, when we meditate upon this verse and we think about it, we go, why would Paul have to write to the church of Philippi to, re- to receive Epaphroditus and to hold him in high esteem? Because they live in a shame and honor culture. Shame and honor culture. And the church may have been feeling shame because Epaphroditus got sick. He was sent to take care of Paul, but in turn, he needed someone to take care of him. 
they wanted him to stay indefinitely, but he had to come back. And their tendency then would have been to shame Epaphroditus. It's kind of like this. Imagine this with me, okay? Your family's having Martha Stewart over for Thanksgiving. Call it outreach. I don't know, okay? But you're having her over. And so there's all this pressure on the family to have a great meal for Martha Stewart. You, you really want to minister to her. You really want to see her come to know Christ. Plus, she's pretty much Mother Teresa of food, right? She's the, the high authority of food. So you work and you work and your family works and you clean and you buy some stuff and you got, you, I mean, the table's looking good. Everybody's sitting down at the table, large table. There's Martha Stewart. And you are the one that is carrying the golden bird, the turkey. And all of a sudden, the cat runs right in front of your feet. And you trip. And there goes the turkey. And it's splattered all over the floor. Would you and your family feel some shame? Yes. You could potentially feel your sh some shame. But you definitely would feel some shame if you lived in a shame and honor culture. The Middle East is still a shame and honor culture. So he's saying, look, receive him back. He hasn't done anything wrong. I know it didn't turn out the way that you guys wanted it to, but receive him with honor and hold him in high esteem. And God would want us not to put people on a pedestal, but to hold those in high regard who have good character, who love the Lord, who have taken risk to serve Christ. And so Paul's saying, esteem Epaphroditus for his sacrifice. And this is why, in verse 30, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death. Because he loved Christ, because he was willing to go minister to Paul, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Epaphroditus is an example of Mark 8, 35. Those who want to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for me and the gospel will save it. A second chair, the value of a team. The value of a team. Unsung heroes are the ones who God values. We may consider them to be no names, but God considers them to be great names. The Bible is filled with those who would be in the second chair. John the Baptist was in the second chair. What a great chair to be in. I must decrease that he must increase. He was pointing to Christ. Andrew is a great disciple of the 12. But how much do you hear of Andrew? He lived and did ministry in the second chair. Barnabas is a classic man who dwelled in the second chair. He went and found the Apostle Paul. He said, Paul, we need you. Everybody was rejecting Paul because of his past, and Barnabas went and got Paul and brought him in. His name means son of encouragement. What, what if Barnabas would have thought, you know, I, I need to do this. He realized that his gifts were, were not that. They needed the Apostle Paul. He, he was more than happy to be willing to fulfill the second chair. How about Priscilla and Aquila? Priscilla and Aquila, this great couple that served the Lord, and their ministry and their life is really one of, of being in the second chair. So from my heart, I want to say thank you to everybody who serves at Rocky Mountain Calvary. It's a, 
Praise the Lord. Yeah. God has blessed this church with a tremendous amount of servants. People that say, you know, it's about the Lord. We're like-minded. We're on the same page. We want to love one another. We want to love this lost community. And we're blessed for it. You know, I think of Robert Beach, our assistant pastor, who's been on staff here for over 20 years. What a blessing in the gifts that he has and the way that he serves in the body. Linda Costco, she, she served for over 20 years and is the office, office manager. And she does so many things behind the scenes to, to make this church run. To, to Donnie, who loves and serves in the foyer and takes care of, of the facility. I mean, how many times have you come into church and found a dirty facility? Well, that's because he's laboring in love for, for over 20 years. And I, and I could go on and on. Like, we have a phenomenal staff here, and I really mean it. Like, a, a great group of people that love and serve, and a phenomenal group that aren't on staff, that say, man, I love being part of this body. I love being able to serve. And that's what God uses to make arms see what it is. It, it's the value of a team. It's, it's the greatness of, of a team. And so if there's anybody here and you say, you know what, God has really called me to support somebody else. That, that, that's who I am. That's who God has made me to be, is lead from that place and see the tremendous value that it brings. Be a team player. Adopt the attributes of Timothy and Epaphroditus and say, I'm going to fulfill that role. Maybe in your work, you go, I'm really in a second chair type of position. And society goes, well, you, you've got to be in the first chair. You've got to keep working hard. And man, they need to promote you and get more education and do whatever you need to do to climb to the top. No, you are on the top. <laughs> That, that's the most valued position. That's, that's the most important position. Anybody will do the lead chair. Anybody will say, yeah, I'll take the power. I'll take the position. But what really causes your company, your organization, whoever you work for to have depth is, is people that are willing to say, I'm ready to be a part of the team. It's basketball season. The NBA finals are happening, if you're not aware. I do like basketball. I'll slip it into the message. But... Even if you're not a basketball fan, you've probably heard of Michael Jordan. He's just this tremendous basketball player. But there was a guy on his team named Scottie Pippen that wasn't too bad either. And he was in the second chair. And he contributed a lot to the greatness of that team. And if you look at the great teams throughout history, there was a very good player that was in that second chair, or two or three or four, that came in a supporting role and said, I don't have to be the superstar. I know that I'm not Michael Jordan, but if it wasn't for Scottie Pippen, they wouldn't have won near as many champions as they would. So as you study the Bible, look for all of the people that are in the second chair and realize, man, it is the value of a team. It's the value of the body of Christ. So let's pray and give thanks to the Lord tonight. Father, we thank you for the diversity of the body of Christ and how you've given us all different gifts and talents and abilities. And what I couldn't name everybody, it wouldn't be possible. But Lord, you see and you know each person that serves so faithfully at this church. And we, we thank you for them. And we pray that you would bless them, that you would fill them up with your spirit, that they would see the value of their role and the value of their, their position. And we just pray for greater unity and even more laborers 
in our church and throughout the churches of Colorado Springs and the nation, Lord, and in the workplace and in the home that we could see the value of this concept as well. So we worship you and rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen.